yo, yo, it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. Get ready for an episode that is over 10 years in the making. And I say that because I've been following this man for over 10 years. It's interesting, for those that don't know, before there was a journey, I had a job with a physical therapy company. I was the fitness component, and I remember the owner of that company bringing me a book and saying, Travis, if you can understand this book, you'll know as much as I know as a physical therapist or as much as I need to know as a physical therapist. And so today's guest is a physical therapist. He's a strength coach. He's the inventor of the functional movement screen. The name of that book was Movement that that owner handed to me. And I could not be any more honored or privileged than I am today to bring Gray Cook on the show. Gray Cook, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, man. It was it was good connecting and having a quick discussion. Uh, I guess it was what two weekends ago, one weekend ago. Yeah, uh, just amazing. And so, yep. And I, and I'm glad you got to sit through you know my most recent talk because you've actually had sort of a front row seat to the evolution of what we've been trying to do, which is you know can we see upstream and the things that are that are maybe challenging you physically because it's real easy to ask the wrong question and get that answered. And that's what we were sort of connecting on when I when I spoke up there. And those of us who are at that touch point with somebody's movement goal or movement problem, it's really easy to make the assumption that all we need to do is write a new program or interject a new protocol. When really, I think um, Hippocrates said, if you want to understand your patient better, let them keep talking, you know? And so to me, the movement screen and a quick survey are two ways for you to tell me what's going on. One way is the way you're thinking and processing and verbally articulating. But if you tell me you can deep squat and then I ask you to, and you cannot, we've got a different thing we got to unpack before I work on your ankle mobility. You're not even aware of a blind spot. And so I think a lot of us jump forward and tell people what's in their blind spot without those practical examples. And that's what I tried to create in that book movement is if you tell me somebody's flexible, then any stranger with your equal background should be able to walk up and agree with you. And I wouldn't want them to guess either. That's not fair to you or them. So there should be this quick visual acquisition. I would expect most carpenters should be able to look at a wall and see within two to three degrees out of alignment or plumb. I expect that of trainers and therapists not going into an exercise and just hoping it's good. I want to set some baselines, but mostly they're selfish. They're for me. And if they help you too, then good God, we're on, in the same tribe, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. And you know, when you first came out, well, when you first came out, it's actually been uh, since 1995 that that functional movement screen actually uh, came about. However, when I first learned about it, some of the learning was required a little bit more, I think, you know, because you had to travel to the right spots to get the certification. You mentioned a video course uh, this past week, well, two weeks ago, that uh, you're now coming out with that makes the learning even more accessible, right? 
It does. It does. And, and Lee and I realized that, believe it or not, pre-COVID, that it just was that we had people in Romania, we had people in Japan, China, Korea, Germany, Brazil, all leaning in on the movement message. And that is an honor to me that that a that a guy who had a lot of problems with dyslexia and reading has actually written books, but those books are actually translated into eight or nine languages. Meaning I don't think I'm a visionary or a guru. I think because of my struggles, I had to start recognizing patterns early in life. And I couldn't trust symbols because half the symbols that came at my brain were facing the wrong way. So I truly had to appreciate the detail of a parts-based analysis, but I also, for me to learn and answer the questions that were created, I also had to see a pattern of truth, a pattern of this natural recognition. Um, the golden ratio is probably the ratio that makes the rectangle that is your iPhone aesthetically pleasing. If it were fatter, it just wouldn't feel right. And if it were longer, it wouldn't feel right. And it not only just fits in your pocket, but believe it or not, some of the best art and design on the planet has, I think it's like a one to 1.6 ratio. When we bring that ratio to the human body and look at how facial recognition works and, and how we see that pattern of a face, an infant has no idea what your eyes do or your nose does, but it is in a pleasing way that attracts their attention and they quickly feel that a smile has these things attached to it, a frown has these things attached to it. When we see a silhouette of one of our loved ones a hundred yards away in very low light, the more they move, the more we know who they are. You project a signature of movement just like you do an individual signature in your handwriting. And I honestly think that when dogs don't like one person and maybe like another, it doesn't mean they're inherently in the presence of evil. That person is projecting maybe a defensive posture or an aggressive posture. And the dog's just reading it for what it is. They don't know whether you're insecure or in fear or whatever, but it's almost like you perpetuate the, the, the patterns that you see. And so what I want to do with this online course is Lee and I were really good at doing that in a live environment. Pull somebody up. Hey, you can't cut, touch your toes. Why do you think you can't? Well, I've had tight hamstrings all my life. I got really fat feet. I don't balance well or whatever. Um, and then we would do something. And then all of a sudden the person with all these reasons, why structural reasons why they could never touch their toes. I got a long femur, blah, blah, blah. I got Scottish hip, but you know, all these things. They had this list of enabling devices that let them not become physically better. And the minute we stripped those away and said, okay, now touch your toes. And they could do it. They don't understand. I didn't come at your parts. I didn't work on each instrument in the orchestra to make sure the tuba player and the cellist were doing the right thing. I simply assume that the conductor didn't get good sleep last night. Well, <laughs> I partied a little too hard, you know? So let's first try to make sure the conductor is conducting well before we isolate the rhythm section and say, that's why it was a bad concert. But it's so much easier for Google to answer those questions about why do my arches hurt? Right? Right. Google doesn't say, what's your posture like? How high is your BMI over what it should be? Do you have a leg length discrepancy? And are you walking in incorrect footwear? 
These are all great questions to ask, but you didn't ask those questions. You said, why do my arches hurt? And Google's getting ready to tell you, you got plantar fasciitis and there are three surgical options. There's some dry needling and soft tissue. It doesn't mean that there are also these eight behaviors that could easily cause this. We're not interested in that. We want to drink some green, green tea with lion's mane in it and, you know, put magnets in their shoes and feel better. It's like <laughs> stand up straight and walk better, man. Maybe your feet will feel better. They're, they're highly innervated with nerves to alert you to a lack of integrity in the way you step. Maybe they're in pain because of the way you're behaving. Maybe they're not the thing that needs adjusting. Maybe the way you walk is. That's the central dilemma between do you have a behavioral problem or do you have an anatomical problem? And I just, most people are much more apt after they've had the kind of education we've had to make the structural argument, not the functional argument. No, make both equally compelling and then follow your heart. There you go. And when I came out of PT school as a strength coach and a PT, there was a much clearer, more scientific argument for the way you're built is why you move this way than the way you've been moving is why you move this way. But we all use the bedrock of the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demand. It doesn't mean those adaptations are good. Sometimes those adaptations are bad. And, and so believe it or not, the healthiest response to poor insulin response is to put on unnecessary weight and create a big extra fat buffer in your sub-Q fat to handle the insulin fluctuations that are caused by a diet that you were never designed to eat. So the, the natural result of a poor dietary environment is uh, type 2 diabetes and poor BMI leading to the obesity situation. But it's the healthiest response if you're going to eat this way. But I wouldn't say it's a favorable response. So, And that's a great example of how when the body adapts, it may not necessarily be adapting to your advantage and it may not be adapting in a way that's healthy. You know, by the way, Overcomer Nation, in case you're just catching this, what we're talking about is the world's greatest assessment tool today. And what I complimented Gray Cook on just a couple of weeks ago when I saw him in Providence is I said, thank you. Thank you for taking what's complex and simplifying it for us coaches. Because what we're doing as coaches is we're trying to help people. But if we're not assessing, then we're only guessing at what exercise is the right exercise for them. And Gray Cook and Lee Burton have created a way for us to be able to assess that and assign the proper exercise. So I wanted to talk on something that you just glossed over. And, and it was why I said, man, we got to do this Overcomers podcast because you, as somebody who suffers with dyslexia, has you've had your book translated in how many languages now? I think uh, the, the, the book that got me first popularity was called Athletic Body and Balance. So if you have some people that don't want to do what you did because you dropped out of a helicopter running 100 miles an hour into movement, and that's a steep on-ramp for some people. But um, almost 10 years before that, I wrote a book called Athletic Body and Balance, and I was a young author. I had a Reebok contract managing some of their highest profile athletes like Greg Norman, Venus Williams, and Andy Roddick. So I was indoctrinated in golf and tennis, but I just had a basic sports medicine and physical therapy and strength conditioning background. But most of my contribution to some of the pro football teams and these individual athletes I came to was they broke a fundamental. Right. I didn't I didn't work with Venus and Serena on how they play tennis. I worked with them on what physical preparation for tennis is not good enough. 
Is it your movement patterns? Is it your anaerobic conditioning or whatever? And instead of trying to optimize anything, I just took the good old fashioned country boy approach and said, what's, what's good enough. And that's the thing I had to get comfortable with early in my life because of the dyslexia thing we talked about. I just didn't think I was that smart because the reading that came naturally to some people didn't come naturally to me. The spelling rules that came natural to some people didn't come natural to me. I was very good at art. I had a very good ear for listening and I could pick up things if I could move while I learned, meaning I would, I would have been a great kid in a Montessori school, but that wasn't possible. But I also think that the struggles I went through prepared my brain to help us get outside the box in a very myopic thylo type of think in the Americanized world of fitness or the Americanized world of healthcare, where we like to specialize and only work on the part of you we're interested in without ever really concerning ourselves of the whole that you're trying to express, the, the health that you're, you're trying to express. So what I started looking for is what are these cues that I'm not delivering a good enough job? Well, the cues I got in school was I had dyslexia. I didn't know what to call it. I knew I read slow. I knew I didn't like to read out loud and I knew I couldn't spell. I was very good conversationally. So I would always divert my attention to a short answer and I would always migrate more toward a verbal examination or a visual recognition type thing um, than, than I would a narrative where I had to write something out. But it also helped me become a better active listener and see if, all right, does this make sense? Because some rules don't make sense. Like in the American language, I before E except after. All right, what the F is that, right? <laughs> That's like, that makes about as much sense to me as no matter what you do on Monday, you can't ever shower on Tuesday. But Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday is fine. It doesn't make any sense at all because why do I have to memorize something? And, and there's a, for anybody listening to this with dyslexia or ADHD or some of the other obstacles I've overcome, it's a great TED Talk by Ray Dalio who's one of the best financial guys in the world, even in the generation of guys like Warren Buffett, this guy has been amazing in his forecasting and investment ability. And he runs his company, Bridgewater Investments, on two fundamental principles, radical transparency and algorithmic thinking. My dyslexia told me you're going to get curveballs in reality and perception. Seek the truth. Speak people who speak plainly, seek communication and accountability and figure out what's good enough. Algorithmic thinking is what got me to screening because everybody squats differently. But there's a break point at low enough and not low enough that doesn't mean you're not going to be a successful weightlifter. I'm not trying to predict that. There's a certain depth of your squat that if you can't get in there, you're not going to be walking as well as you could when you're 80 if you went ahead and fixed that now. There is a forecast in that, that movement, you know, that pattern. And my dyslexia forced me to look for the truth, but accept a C along the way because my parents told me that was good enough. My brother and sister, amazing students, 
homework's always done, don't have, aren't highly distractible, don't get off on a tangent, right? So I'm glad I came first, not third, because then I would have had shoes to fill that physically I couldn't fill. I got to college, I started becoming an active listener. I started understanding how dissection and labeling worked in anatomy. And by the time I got to University of Miami to PT school, I wasn't even taking notes, but I was drawing pictures of the anatomical parts that we were supposed to, and I could label those. But on examination in the cadaver lab, I could close my eyes and rotate that picture in my head. You can't do that if you write down a paragraph. All you can do is memorize or not memorize the paragraph. But, but if you have ADHD, it's almost like your right and left brain are on at the same time. So <laughs> you must look at the pattern but you must also create fine detail. And, and I love, uh, I, I guess it's by design, my name is gray because there's two ways to get gray, digitally and analog. Analog, you can sit out in the sunshine with white and black paint and look at how that shade of gray changes with sunlight and shade and what it does. Digitally, you can reproduce that shade of gray, but that's not how we make things. That's not how we create movement. And so many people assume that since gray looks the same, whether you mix it up with a paintbrush or create a grayscale digital, there's only one way you can paint your kettlebell gray. And that's if you make it, right? The old fashioned way. And so you should be able to discuss any subject matter from a digital standpoint that that's that shade of gray so everybody can locate it but what created that shade of gray was me sitting in the sunshine figuring out the way the sun and the black and the white uh changed from wet to dry and what color gray i actually wanted so you know we can talk about gray in an analog right brain world and we can talk about gray in a digital left brain world but if you can't make equal arguments you don't have a tool you are the tool right? The tool's using you. You're not using the tool. And that's what I never wanted our movement screen or the ways we evaluate to be. I don't want to find a deficiency in you to shame you. I want to find a not good enough in you so you can realize any other investment in your physical time or space outside of this weakest link will not change your physical life. It's just the way things are. If you're dehydrated, I can offer you meditation and spiritual counseling, but you're going to die because your electrolytes are off. So it'd probably be better if I gave you the cup of water first and then we had the meditation talk. But so many people are enthusiastic about the trip they're on, not the need of the person in front of them. And so to me, developing a functional screen was staying Yes, we are in a time and place where you can optimize anything. But if you go through the boxes in your relationship, in your sleep, in your breathing, in your movement, your activity level, your BMI, your nutritional awareness, your behavioral health, your, pat, your the way you've dealt with your past insults and injuries, if any of those homeostasis or balances aren't good enough, why are we talking about deadlifting right now? Why are we talking about Wim Hof right now? You know what I'm saying? So, so people really pick the medicine they want to take and then need the expert to agree that that's what they're supposed to do. Now, let me give you an analysis of physical currency, your assets, your liabilities, your debts, and your, your abundance. Let me, let me put every physical thing that matters in biology in this kind of category. And let's talk about you know, 
where your debt is. Because if you're in debt, I'm not going to talk to you about investments. Your best investment is getting out of debt. If you have liabilities, these are risk and exposures that if you mitigated these now, you may not be in debt later. So let's get you out of debt. Let's lower your risk. Let's get you into some degree of buffer or profit. And then some of us find abundance. Some of us don't, but at least get out of debt. And so, so many people in physical debt are asking me, do you think dry needling will help? I'm like, probably I'd start with a lifestyle overhaul with the things you have the greatest issue with. And, and, you know, wearables are great, but I already knew I wasn't sleeping good. I didn't know how much I wasn't sleeping good. And then all of a sudden I realized my wife is right. And I don't need to get a more anti-inflammatory lifestyle. I just need to pull an extra 45 minutes of deep sleep, which requires me to sleep an extra hour and a half, but that's the minimum. That was my biggest red flag. I'm great cook. I should be able to figure out a movement solution to bad sleep. No, there isn't one. Better sleep is the, you know, <laughs> but what's the movement solution? If you're a tense person, you should be doing the warm up that you do before a run or kettlebell swings before you go to bed. The same movements that can ready your body to conduct tension can show you how to dump unnecessary tension before you go to sleep. So there is a way we can talk about it. But wow. the reason I'm doing movement at 9, 8, 9 p.m. is not so your core will come back and not so your posture is better. It's so you dump that bullshit you collected today and you sleep better. So, you know, we, we need to talk to people that way. Yeah. I, I had never, never heard that before. Never even thought of that about doing the warm up before bed uh, to prep your body for sleep. That is. All right. Three questions. Three questions. Do you struggle more with mobility, stability or left, right? asymmetries. I need you to answer that, but I need everybody right now listening to me to go ahead and stay. Now, if they can't say a movement screen will answer that question pretty quick. But if you know you struggle more with maintaining your flexibility than you do your stability and balance, or you just have the right side of your body is just like dead weight, put yourself in one of those three categories right now. And I'll talk to you, but the answer process will be the same for anybody listening. Okay, let's say it's mobility then. All right. In fact, I've been on the stage before. You guys, you and Lee have used me as an example of poor hamstring flexibility uh, or, you know, having a bad active straight leg raise. And it was amazing how quickly uh, that was improved by the two of you. But, uh, you know, so mobility, let's go with mobility. All right. But it's equally disappointing to see how quick it leaves you if I send you back to your chair and then Gray Cook blathers on for another hour and a half as your posterior chain tightens back up, right? right so right. we proved that your anatomy wasn't why you had a mobility problem. It was the way you were running your circuits. And so we proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that your lack of mobility was a tone problem a tension problem, not a tissue problem. Because if you'd had really bad tissue, full of lactic acid, lymphatic drainage is off, your capillary bed's not too good, your fascial planes don't glide on each other, your very poor circulation in your muscle tendon junction. I could go on and on because these are all the excuses of why we say, well, you're still tight even though you've been stretching. You either got a tissue problem or you got a tension and tone problem but they look and feel the same way when I test your flexibility. So we proved with your body up on stage, you're carrying your tension in an inefficient way. 
I don't know whether that's emotional, psychosocial. I don't even know if it was a stage fright we had, or it could be the way you're working out where you're just this quad dominant, pec dominant, tricep dominant. You're all about pushing. You hate doing pull-ups and you hate doing deadlifts. Well, that right there could fix it, right? Balance out your workout, which is truly the definition of functional workout. They're not functional exercises, right? There are exercises that lead to function and they're ones that make you look puffed up, but also make you move poorly in the process. I would always pick stuff that does both, makes you move better and makes you look better simultaneously. But what we proved is you got a tension problem. And therefore, what I did on stage to change the way you used your hamstrings and hinged your hip, you would not only be beneficial doing that before you do kettlebell swings so you could get more into your glutes and core in the movement pattern required for a good swing, but why would you want to take that hamstring tension to bed? Why wouldn't you want to defrag your hard drive before you turn your computer off? Why wouldn't you want to close all those apps every now and then before you put your phone at rest? So we take this very myopic approach to um, movement is only to stress me. No, a good movement flossing, and I'll use Kelly Starrett's word, but Kelly uses that floss word locally. He'll put a rubber band around your ankle and they'll floss you locally. But let me argue the counterpoint. What if I flossed you globally? So here's the answer. I want you to go to YouTube, put in Gray Cook Mobility Flow. I want you to follow that flow for one week in the morning or before you work out, but always before you go to bed. At the end of that week, do you still have as impressive of a hamstring problem as you did? Because when you get your teeth cleaned twice a year by the dental hygienist and doctor who comes in afterwards and says the same damn thing, but for a slightly higher fee, they don't tell you to floss on Tuesday. They tell you to floss. Well, you're not going to rewrite or change a movement pattern by doing one corrected with me on stage. And you already know that. But a lot of people feel if I don't have this ambitious change quick, why keep flossing? Because it's a maintenance, not a one-off injection of vitamin B, right? It's something that should be part of your habit. So what I tell people is, do you have five minutes to dump tension before you go to bed? Because you can't always afford a massage, and sometimes you can't always ask for one. But nothing's going to stop you from flossing that area of your movement, the corners of your movement room, where you develop unnecessary tension. I don't care whether you ran a marathon today or had a fight with your wife or just sat in traffic for two hours wasting your life. It doesn't matter why you're tense. Why carry it to bed? So... I want you to try that movement flow. But for those people who are always worried about their posture, their core and their balance, right? Just the sort of sloppy moving people do the exact same stability flow. It's up there too. So Gray Cook mobility flow for those of you who already know stiffness and tightness is your struggle. See if one week of flossing as a warm up for your exercise or before your day starts and as a cool down before you get it, see if flossing works better than foam rolling and enduring the pain. Foam rolling can make the flossing go better, but if you do a movement correction and then don't run through at least a three-station movement pattern kata, right? You don't hit save on the document. Well, why does the sun salutation run 
through three, four, five postures. Why does a Turkish getup run you through three, four, five postures? Because the ancients realized we should be breathing and moving through transitional patterns, not getting in a squat station and banging it out until our quads cramp, right? Nobody used to work out that way, and cheetahs don't get fast that way. So these movement katas, tai chi, sun salutation, Turkish getup, are the remnants of the world's best maintenance programs. You want to put ultra running on top of that? You want to put mogul skiing on top of that? But if mogul skiing takes away your ability to do a sun salutation or Turkish getup, the app you installed on your phone just cannibalized the operating system of human movement. Your phone's operating system is the platform that these baseball, golf, you know, pole vault apps run on. Don't ever let the app of your movement desire cannibalize the operating system that allows you to be adaptable to the next thing you want to do. So when you see me getting behind exercises like Indian clubs and stuff like that, uh, -uh I'm cleaning off your windshield because you can't see clearly. So a lot of your movement endeavors are making you one-sided. That's the last flow I put up on uh, YouTube. For the golfers that really have good uh, balance on one leg, bad balance on the other, for the pitchers who really rotate good one way and not the other, for fighters who favor one side, you're probably mobility and stability good enough. Get up and do the symmetry flow, the one that will confront your left and right uh, symmetry. Um, I tell people to mix and match. You go for the one that you already think you are for about a week, but then download or look at another one. Let me talk you through it and just start flossing movement and you'll find out some of your behaviors are causing your problem or bringing your problem up to an awareness level makes you see opportunities in your life to start healing your movement not just your tissues, healing the way you conduct the orchestra, reducing unnecessary tone. I mean, I ask most of my clients, what would you, would you contribute? Would you basically participate in a neck massage three times a week for the rest of your life? Absolutely. What if I told you I could get you to a point where you didn't feel like you needed that without getting a neck massage? Would you do that? Most people, they want to lay there and passively have somebody else take that own burden off of them. But I can show you in far less time than it takes me to get the tension out of your neck, how to dump it by matching your breathing with a few sort of awkward spinal movements because you can't stay tight here. So that's, I, I want the people go ahead and tell me what you think your movement problem is floss for a week and then play with the others and become self-aware. So. You know, great. This is just such great information. And for those of you listening we are talking about a functional movement screen originally created for high school and college athletes that has now impacted the military, many professional teams. It has changed the world of program design for the fitness trainer to where we can now design better programs. And we were just discussing my mobility issues. So I'm going to share this issue with our audience and with you because quite often many people have back issues and I've had issues with my sacroiliac. I don't run anymore. And maybe like many other people, I decided the best thing I can do in the morning is a, a morning stretch routine. You know, I'm doing some glute bridges and things such as that to just try to loosen up that back, some prone press ups. However, I was at a Perform Better conference before. I took the stage with Greg Cook and Lee Burton. They had me uh, squeeze, I think it was a towel between my legs. There was something I was squeezing between my legs. And 
I touched my toes a number of times and suddenly I gained more mobility than I just had seconds before that. And what we're talking about right now is we're talking about what if you did that same type of movement prep or even a movement flow sequence that you can find on Google uh, by Gray Cook before bed. And so, Gray, let me ask you this. Somebody such as myself that believes that tight hamstrings and tight hips is tied to my back problems. And so I try to stretch in the morning to prevent a flare up. What we're what we're talking about right now is that perhaps better for me than that morning stretch might be a movement flow before workout and before bed. You know, I'm going to, yes, I, I do think it would. But the one thing it's going to give you is a baseline perspective because if you do a flow in the evening and you wake up and you already know what it feels like in the morning to do the same thing, what you did at night may influence the morning. You may find out if I can only do this once a day, bedtime or before heavy stress workout are going to be my two things. Because if I do it before bedtime, I don't need to do it in the morning. You might find out the other way. You could be one of those rock sleepers that just truly sleeps in a position that has you a little achy when you get up. I would say don't carry that into the day. So just by sort of sampling the the movement meal or the movement snack, if you will, you'll learn to baseline yourself. And I find a lot of people just they go to bed with tension. It's just the way their day is constructed right now. It's just it's just the way it is. Some people are working time and a half right now. Some people are working longer shifts, you know. But if I could get you to sleep better, you might not have wake up with the baggage. Then again, if sleep is going to be broken for a while, you might have to do two a days. I know that the same flows that most people do at least three times a week to stay maintained, if they have a flare up with their low back, if they break their foot and walk around in a boot, the one thing they do is they have that baseline, that flow, that sun salutation, that Turkish get up, that movement memory that says, can I get back in these shapes, postures, and transitions that help me sort of challenge myself before? And most people, when they rehab, they rehab the ankle, but they never reintegrate it back into the mobility flow, where that's going to be a completely different thing. You're going to have some struggle, but it's always going to be there influencing your movement behavior subconsciously. Like, did you used to limp? No, I don't limp. They're telling you, you're limping. It's just so familiar that it doesn't feel like a limp anymore, you know? So. Really you know, one of my favorite authors, Wayne Dyer, uh, he's definitely influenced me spiritually and philosophically. He suggested that what we lay down with at night, you know, many people end their day by complaining about their day, what went wrong and all that kind of stuff. And he says, that's your marinade. You're about to marinate in that for like the next eight hours. And I feel like you're telling us the same thing. Do you want to lay down with all that tension and just let your body marinate that way? Or would you like it to be free of that tension for the next eight hours so maybe it can develop a new type of programming yeah exactly and and i've been highly influenced by wayne dyer too but i honestly think i'm trying to ask your body questions like he asked your ego questions right mm -hmm. and if if i get you into a question that makes you feel like you're in a chinese finger trap <laughs> the harder you think about it the worse it gets um then that's what when, when I came up with that bretzel stretch, uh, the the yeah. and we featured it. Yeah, it's it's basically a quad stretch, a lat stretch, a T spine mobility. It really 
sort of challenges your body as a pattern. So instead of just stretching your quads, I stretch your quads without allowing you to compensate with your spine, shoulders, or neck, right? Because the first thing that somebody does when they do a classic quad stretch is they become a chicken. And that chin goes right out in front and they round their posture all to take the tension off a muscle that shouldn't be that tense in the first place. So I said, let's put yourself in a submission hold and breathe your way back into it. I don't care if it takes you eight seconds to relax or 88 seconds to relax, right? Or four minutes to relax. It doesn't really matter. It is what it is. But don't go to the barrier that's uncomfortable. Go to the barrier where you can still cycle a deep breath. And after three deep breaths, take a a little bit more and start learning to dump that tension. And so what I find is that that you will truly find where you need to dump it, but you've got to ask yourself the hard questions. Why am I tighter in the morning? Why am I tighter at the end of the day? And in the current environment, I also think it's a healthy question to ask ourselves, are you overstressed or under-recovered? Because unless you're a hunter-gatherer, I'd like to say that if you do say I'm overstressed, it's not physical. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's emotional, psychosocial, and... I might be so bold as to say that you might be getting a lot of this from a screen. So let's not do that, right? I can't control, I can tell you to do less reps, but I can't tell you to do less anxiety, right? So I can control your stress. So the very first thing most people need to realize is you're asking me an exercise, i.e. stress-based question, and I'm supposed to assume that you're adequately recovered. No, What feels normal to you may be absolutely abnormal statistically. Most people with sleep apnea are told by a partner that they got sleep apnea. They don't wake up and say, "Eh, I just got dark circles under my eyes and I stopped breathing 82 times last night. Usually somebody's got to tell you that. All right. Well, you're not going to be aware of blind spots, but it's so funny right now in current society that if you make somebody aware of a blind spot, they don't think you're loving them. They think you're shaming them, right? I'm not shaming you. I just told you what biology said is not good enough. I just told you your behavior is a bigger problem than your access to medical solutions, surgery, and pharmacology. The way you're behaving is causing this. And I mean, that's what stoicism is all about. The obstacle is the way. Ryan Holiday talks about it every day. And he's He's totally right, but we aim that at our ego, just like Wayne Dyer. We never aim it at our physical assumptions, at our physical, the way we want to appear, as opposed to the, the way we just got measured, you, you know. So yeah, is the way. Yes, that's a very good quote. Let me ask you, you just mentioned breathing as a measurement uh, that you can actually do three full breaths. So this is kind of your your test as to see whether or not you're going too far beyond, you know, what's comfortable or whether or not you're just right. How important is breathing for people that are performing some of these corrective stretches and exercises? It is more important than the movement you're doing. Cause if breathing is altered, it will poison movement downstream. I think Wim Hof has proven that with a lot of his, let's get your breathing right and watch how much more you can do. Without becoming a better runner, Wim Hof can take you through some breathing exercises that will instantly reveal untapped cardio ability. 
I'm not for a minute assuming that you stop pronating or valgus collapsing, but you are at least more efficient. So there's a mechanical way. But there's another guy who's lesser known in breathing called Phil Maffetone, a very pro prolific and wise chiropractor in the 80s that was working with triathletes. And he came at it a different way. He came at it as a chiropractor who actually realized that if I've got the ability to know what your heart rate is when you're doing laps around the track, there is a point of movement declination. A movement gets worse in an appreciable and observable way when I transition you from what your polar heart rate monitor would say is light cardio to medium cardio. Now, we're all told by weight loss gurus and fitness gurus alike, we got to get in medium cardio, right? Well, we do, if our cardio is already good. But if your cardio is compromised, I need you in low-level cardio because Phil Maffetone observed you make biomechanical errors. And we've always got a reserve of cardio where our mechanics won't support it because that's how you get out of harm's way. If mm -hmm. a, a rabid dog is chasing you, I don't care how mechanically well you run. I just need you to run, right? Mm -hmm. And get, right? But so... Biology is going to give you more cardio than technique. And your job is to not assume that exercise is only about cardio. Go back and pick up some technique because the art of becoming strong is making heavy things seem light, not by making things seem harder. And technique makes heavy things seem light right away. And so Wim Hof has shown us I can instantly adjust your cardio. Phil Maffetone has shown us that, but if I don't keep you contained in this cardio, you will get a plantar fasciitis or shin splints before you will drop 30 pounds. But if I keep you here, and so one of the things I was going to tell you, the way I want to approach your mobility problem is you're getting ready to find out, do I need to dump tension twice a day or is nighttime my big window of opportunity? If so, add an extra round at night instead of doing a round at night around the morning. But secondly, I got another gift for you on YouTube. Uh, look up Gray Cook and functional rucking. And that is about the ruck trend that goruck.com has really, really brought to light, which is, you know, walking at a brisk pace with a high and heavy backpack, not a, you know, a Appalachian Trail backpack where the weight is shared on your waist, but high and tight like a military operator would wear it. They wear packs up high because they need other stuff on their waist, right? But the true measure of physical durability of an operator in special operations, Ranger, Delta, Green Beret, SEAL, whatever is, can you carry 30 to 50 pounds all friggin' day? We ain't talking about running. We're not talking about swings. We're talking about if... Carrying a heavy pack eight hours a day on and off breaks you down. You got a stability problem, not a strength problem. You got a balance problem or you got a mobility problem because you're working against yourself because other people who are no fitter than you are pulling this off. So can you align yourself under the weight and maybe do your tight ankles make you pitch forward in such a way that you got to use your back over time just to balance that rucksack? So what I'm going to tell you is if you do the mobility flow and you're actually feeling like, man, I'm, I'm a little bit looser than normal. The first thing, the next thing I want you to do is watch the video that I posted 
with the goruck.com equipment. I got a 30 pound plate on my back. My posture is instantly better, but I can show you how to take a three mile walk with that. And to me, the on-ramp, if you ever wanted to jog recreationally again, is don't start jogging and don't overanalyze your jogging. Let me make you more mobile and let me hit save on that postural document with a rucksack for one month. Go on a, a trail run and just realize, hmm, as long as I don't go OCD and try to do this five days a week, I still got some running in me and I can still enjoy a trail run. And it feels great to pull off that backpack after a month of trudging. And you feel like you got wings on your feet, you know? So I tell people, do a, do a month of suck, <laughs> yeah. a month of go rock, and then start trail running again, man. Nobody said you got to go post-impressive mileage anymore, but don't give up the ability to run just because it hurt you. There's a good chance you brought a lot of weak links to running and got on an on-ramp that worked really well in your 20s, not so much in your 40s. So there is a stoic way we can approach this. And I don't, I don't need a guru to walk me through this. Just I got to give you a few filters in your day um, to, to become you know, self-aware, to, to let's bring that blind spot up to the surface. Let's secondly say, all right, I'm going to ask you a question because I jumped ahead and gave you a bunch of things to correct your flexibility, but you were already aware of it. So we don't need to go there. What are some things, you know, right off the bat that will make your flexibility worse? You know, when I, you know, quite often, of course, when, well, when I'm done running, when I uh, do certain movements, I would say, it's interesting. I avoid deadlifting now. I avoid it because, I need to go light, you know, so I, I would say I, I avoid the weight of deadlifting, right? I'm always going light with that because my hamstrings are tight, uh, tighter afterwards. Um, so I guess knowing that I'm tighter after running, knowing that I'm tighter after deadlifting, I avoid those things. Um, those are just a couple of things that come to mind. Okay. All right. Those are two domains we actually flesh out in a course called FCS, which is a functional capacity screen. I base that on what you do between the time you're a toddler and the time you're three. And you acquire four different motor skill sets, run, jump, carry, and climb. Okay. Mm -hmm. So crawling for an infant becomes climbing in a three-year-old. Now, this is going to blow your mind, but most three-year-olds, if they're allowed to grow up and run around and fall down and climb trees and play in mud puddles and run in sand and stuff, can jump their body height in a standing long jump. Okay. That's an impressive power output because I can go to the local high school right now and find 50% of the kids can't do that. Right. So they were more physically balanced and powerful pound for pound at three than they are as a junior high or high school student. There's two reasons for that. Number one, if you're going through puberty, you're disorganized and you're going through a growth spurt, yeah, your mind and body aren't going to connect for about eight more months. But there's things we can do to help. And if you're highly inactive, right, or myopic, meaning all you do is three seasons of baseball, those things can also occur. And I've seen it because pre-COVID, I volunteered as a PE instructor with my wife at a local school that didn't have any form of physical education, small private startup. And I just felt like I wanted to 
put Greg Cook's money where his mouth was, not in my donation, but actually in my physical time with a sleeveless shirt and a whistle acting like every gym teacher I ever had before, but doing it in a way that made children self-aware of their movement without exercise or lessons. We showed up every Thursday and did a Ninja Warrior course. And then I did some of the same stuff on the balance beam with them that I did with you guys in my hands-on, simply making them self-aware about what they could do between this uh, this Thursday and next Thursday to run the course better. So, so cool. So now let me ask you, as I'm sitting here with the world's greatest physical therapist, Many times you read out there that, you know, 80% of all back problems are tied to tight hamstrings. Do you agree with that philosophy or has your work shown you that more often, you know, you talk about, uh, I think you were talking about the commander in the control room and different things such as that. Um, how would you uh, make that statement? I guess if you were to say, you know, the majority of back problems I deal with, I usually, uh, I, I will see people, I would say 80% of the people that I see with a complaint of a low back symptom could either hip hinge or squat better. Hip hinge usually winds up being talked about like a hamstring problem. And a lack of squat is usually uh, only talked about an, as an ankle mobility problem, but it is also a major core stability problem. Okay, so let's just go back to the tight hamstring. The, the big assumption that most people make is, is it cause or correlation? If I were an alien landed a spaceship right now, I would think firefighters were starting those damn fires because every time I see a fire, I see a bunch of dudes around it, right? Now, right. are firefighters causing the fire or do they correlate with a flare-up somewhere, right? So do hamstrings occur after your core is so weak as a secondary protector, because think about this, anatomically speaking, we see a lot of people with disorganized posture having what we call an anterior pelvis. If your pelvis were a plate and it had six ounces of water on it, most people that aren't using their core effectively and probably predisposed to sacrificing their back are spilling water off the front of that plate. Your abs decided to quit doing it. You need an excuse? Okay, you just had a baby. You just had a C-section. You're a dude with a hernia. doesn't matter why. You're spilling stuff. Let's just say if you weren't spilling stuff, I think you would have a different back, okay? But your abs let your pelvis drop down in the front. Your hamstrings are attached to your ischial tuberosity, a leverage prominent point on the back of your pelvis. Therefore, if your hamstrings tighten up while you're standing around in line at Walmart or while you're at the DMV doing unnecessary stupid stuff. Your hamstrings say, whoa, that's too much anterior tilt on your pelvis. You're putting stress on your low back. Your abs aren't listening to the cue to reposture yourself. But if you tighten up hamstrings, you can posterior tilt your pelvis and stop spilling water. So your brain just asks your hamstrings, to please tighten up because your abs are asleep. Mm -hmm. And then we foam roll the living crap out of your hamstrings and feel all those knots when your hamstrings were really made to help you sprint and go through huge range of motion while you know stabilizing and stuff like that. So it's really easy to get on the cause or correlation end of the argument. My whole point is fix your movement, manage your symptoms. Fix your movement, manage your symptoms. And 
a lot of your listeners may not know this, but after we developed the functional movement screen, we developed a different rehabilitation tool of how to look at movement. And if I ask you to do some movements like turn left and right, balance on one foot, touch your toes, hyperextend your back, do a deep squat. Let me see your shoulders move. Let me see your neck move. There are four different ways this dyslexic sees that pattern. You are functional and non-painful. You covered the bare minimum of range of motion and it didn't hurt you, okay? The next one is you are functional and painful, right? You touched your toes. And if I hadn't seen you grimace, I would have said, that's a pretty good toe touch. Mm -hmm. But then you come back up and say, yeah, but it hurt. Ah, you are moving through the right angles, but it hurt you. Hmm. That's functional and painful. Okay. So you're not doing it wrong that I can see from here. And had you not told me you were in pain, I would have thought that was good enough. But there's something that provokes symptoms. I don't think I know whether forward bending is cause or correlation. So let me take that movement pattern and put it over there. Okay. Now I have your squat. And not only do you not squat deeply, but you say it hurt. Well, that's dysfunctional and painful. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether your pain is causing poor movement or your poor movement's causing pain. Let's put that over here too. And now let me ask you to balance on your right foot. And you friggin' can't compared to your left foot. Your left foot's like 25 seconds eyes open and 12 and a half eyes closed. That's, that's good enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're not doing that on your other side. Does it hurt you? No, it doesn't hurt at all. So most people, would try to fix your squat or your toe touch, hoping the pain would go away. I already have a valid measure that you're bearing your weight 60-40, mm. right? Okay. okay. Now, if you're already weight shifted beyond 50-50, well beyond 50-50, and trying to maintain that weight shift through a toe touch and a squat, aren't you having to contort your back and pelvis in sort of maybe an unnatural way to cover a depth of movement that I think is normal, but I'm assuming you're bearing weight 50-50. I noticed as a physical therapist and with chiropractors and physicians I worked with, we were inherently trained to chase the pain, even though ethically we know that's fool's gold because we'll wind up with symptom management, not cause correlation. So in the distribution here, I had your shoulder mobility and your rotations good. Your forward bend is good. Your deep squat um, or your forward bend hurts you, but it's pretty good. Your deep squat, you can't do it and it's painful. But the one thing nobody's getting ready to look at is your balance is off. And so I'm going to do a few things, whether they be rolling or planking or something, to sort of clean up that balance on the right side. Then I can revisit your painful pattern or your dysfunctional painful pattern and see. And that's what's behind the SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment, is the fact that so many people move like shit. We ignore the signs of not good enough movement and chase the symptom of, ouch, that hurts. Well, I think it's your pelvic floor. Well, I think it's your L5-S1. Well, I think it's sciatica. Well, I, I think it's your SI. That's bullshit, man. That's for amateurs. That's not the way we fly planes. That's that's not the way we go to sniper school. We don't guess. 
we know it's going to work such a high percentage of the time, we'll bet our lives on it. And most people in the healthcare and fitness silo don't have to bet their lives on their friggin' decisions. But if you pretended like you did, you may not let so much bullshit come out of your mouth. You may slow it down a little bit and ask these hard questions, these Wayne Dyer questions that we're supposed to ask your ego, these stoic questions. Well, ask them to your physical investment of time and energy, and you'll get your answer of why your body looks that way or doesn't look that way, you know? So good. That's so good. Well, you know, Gray, I, I want to be respectful of your time. And, and there's just been so much information that you shared with us that if you are listening to this podcast and you don't want to dive deeper, you must not have been listening to this. So hit the rewind. <laughs> Try to wrap your mind around some of these concepts that are created to help you. And then the question I have for you, Gray, is who can take your video courses? Are they just for fitness coaches to learn how to be better fitness coaches and physical therapists to learn how to be better physical therapists? Or is this for the fitness enthusiast that wants to understand their body better? No, I think the fitness enthusiast could easily uh, pick up the book I wrote in 03. It's uh, also in ebook form. It's called Athletic Body and Balance. And they could just see this perspective. And even though the book was published in 03, it's still in print and it's never... It's, it's never outsold anything John Grisham ever wrote, but it's also never underperformed its first or second year. So it's been a steady, and that's one of the ones that was translated. But we have a lot of courses. I did one with our company, Functional Movement Systems, called A Common Sense Approach to Movement and A Common Sense Approach to Movement Correction. And that is at the level that everybody can understand it. And even these new mobility and stability courses I put up really explain why we got to unpack you this way. There are so many ways to make people move better. And we get caught up debating the program or the protocol or the exercise. But to, to go back to one of the best warriors of all time, Sun Tzu, the art of war, most people get caught up in tactics and methodology and they don't have good strategies. That's Simon Sinek saying, start with why. That's like develop a strategy. And that's why, you know, we got, we got three principles at functional movement systems that I need to operate by move well before you move off. I put a period at the end of move well, because if we're going to hold the line on what hypertension is or what legal blindness is, I got to be willing to build a scale that will treat people fairly, but also demonstrate when they get out of their handicap and when they cross into that handicap and it's out of love. I will not let you have a blindness or a hypertensive blind spot. So why would I let you have a movement blind spot? You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's getting your head around that and not assuming that, you know, assuming that a functional approach and exercise will make you healthy is like assuming that standing outside of Whole Foods will make you nutrient dense. It won't. You know, it's it's a good step in that direction. But. I'm still going to weigh you. I'm still going to look at your blood work. I don't care where you shop for your food. And I don't care if you think you've been on a functional workout or not. If I screen you, neither of us should be disappointed. And if we are, that means you were sold something that you didn't complete yet or you're not doing in the right direction. And I think we can, we can challenge ourselves because the movement screen helped me raise the bar as a 30 something on a clinic that I was in charge of. And I didn't feel like an expert, but I said, I do know the kind of result I want to generate. So let me set some filters. So we'll all have this radical transparency and algorithmic thinking that ain't personal, right? If I say, you know, their lunge isn't good, that's a reflection of our program. 
or their participation. It, it just is. And so as long as we can handle that, I never have to defend exercise or rehabilitation methodology. Again, the methodology, if done right, should defend itself. So if I make a decision to screen you and dry needle you and you feel better, I pick the right technique. But if I couldn't dry needle you because you were scared of needles, I am not handcuffed. There's a lot we can do. Dry needling would be my preferable and most economical endeavor for you because I think I could do more in a single visit than I could with my hands or scraping or something. But I'm going to get you there either way, even if you can't handle the needles. And I find that so many people are married to a kettlebell approach or a manipulation approach over in rehab or something like that. I'm not married to methodology, but my systems have definitely showed me the ones that have the most merit. And so all my system has to do is vet cause and correlation and structure and behavior. And then I can answer the question, are you breaking you or are you structurally broken? Because those are two different approaches. And, and I've had to face them both in my life. But if I've got to be the guy that says this, I got I to gotta apply it to myself, too. So, you know, it's at 57, my screens are kicking me in the ass right now, but in a loving way. And when I do what the screens tell me to do, it's just like doing what my wife tells me to do most of the time. Yep, she's right. I just can't tell her because then she'll think she's right all the time. So Yeah, it works out for our best, though, right? When we do what the screen tells us to do and when we do what our wife tells us to do. Uh, it does. So uh, just enthusiast, athletic body and balance, a common sense approach to movement and the new mobility and stability courses will enlighten that. The freebies are look at the flows and look at the ruck pack that sort of locks some of that stuff in. These are global approaches to movement problems. For uh, pros, we have certifications online. Uh, that you can consume at your own pace. We have online courses that are live, and then we have live courses. And so you can get certified in movement screening three different ways, at your own pace, in a isolated weekend, watching us do a live uh, remote, and then a live in person. We do the exact same thing for professionals with the SFMA, chiropractors, physical therapists, athletic trainers. Um, and we also did a conditioning course that I was saying would help me find out where you're breaking down, you know, run, jump, carry, or climb that really puts uh, fitness into a pattern-based capacity, not just let's just keep polishing your lunge, hoping everything gets better. Once your movement screen's good enough, I start questioning your conditioning. But if your movement screen's not good enough, the extra load usually makes you hurt. It doesn't make you better, so... Really good, really good. You know, by now we're all inspired to learn why our body's moving the way it is and, and learn to make our body move better. I wanted to give you an opportunity to inspire our audience with a answer that I'm very curious about. You know, you've described today your adversity as your advantage. When you went over your dyslexia and how it helps you to see things differently, I think that that was just such an important perspective, which is why, you know, you're showcased as an overcomer on this podcast. You're, you're, I'm just curious, what makes someone who is dyslexic decide to write more than one book? But I mean, wasn't there a challenge in that as you, you were dealing with your dyslexia to think about authoring a book? It was, but at the same time, I realized once I had the credential of strength coach, once I had the credential of physical therapist, once I was a board certified orthopedic specialist, I gave myself permission to say, okay, I did it your way. I, I gave you the answers you wanted. I learned the things you told me to learn. 
can I now play my own music with that? Because I had a few things, these were on the internet too, uh, my conflicted lectures where I learned that if you had a neurological problem, like my or your mom had a stroke and I were trying to teach her to walk again as a physical therapist, I would not strengthen her quads, hamstrings, and glutes. I would pattern her back into walking and I would actually take her down to crawling and we would work up feeding her brain the exact same movements and postures and patterns and transitions that she did the first time. Because unfortunately, after a stroke, you lose tissue in your brain. You lose that tissue. So if we're going to rewrite movement and make sure your mom hopefully wouldn't have to walk with a cane after her stroke, if we focus only on walking, she will most undoubtedly end up with a cane or a walker. But if we get her in a non-threatening room and a pad down on the ground and we start rolling and moving just like she did 80 some years ago in a crib or something like that and love her through those steps and teach her to breathe and move, we got a way better chance of getting her walking without an assistive device. Now, that's the way I learned how to fix movement in neuro class. I went over to ortho class and said, yeah, you just crack that neck and tell them to turn their head and all will be good. And I'm like, you know, if you've got an orthopedic problem, that works locally, but it doesn't last unless we feed you the movement that you lost globally. So part of functional movement systems for me, and, and I'm a, I'll out this right now, it's a Trojan horse F you to everybody who told me I couldn't see what I was supposed to see. I was seeing that you were telling me to treat this neurological person as if they had neuroplasticity, they had neural adaptivity. Einstein says the ability to change is the most true representation of intelligence over here we would fix the part and assume the pattern would default back to homeostasis often it doesn't because that's like assuming that everybody with a hamstring or knee problem is neurologically optimized and they're not they they have just as much damn neurological baggage i've fixed kids and had their x-ray and mri come back great and their parents say why do they still limp and i'm like there is no physiological reason why they should and I'm like, watch this. They deep squat, they balance on one foot, and they can run. But when they default back to walking, they have that little limp. You know why? Because this is a kid going through a growth spurt just spent two months in a cast. And they spent most of that mileage in the cast walking right. with a limp. So they learn a behavior of limping that didn't infect their running. It didn't infect their squatting and lunging. And so how do I get them out of the limp? We have little games that force them to reappreciate their balance. But there's no physiological upstream cause for the limp, even though there was one and I removed it, the default didn't occur. So by me creating this Trojan horse called global movement screening, global movement assessment, global movement testing means that if you tell me you made somebody move better, I've got an independent objective screen that's held up against 20 years of research that says they're moving better or they're not. You might not like the answer, but it's as close to the truth as we can get you right now. And it will set you free <laughs> from a bad thought if you face it like you're That's supposed so to. Good. So yeah. I love the answer that you just gave there. You know, one of my favorite movies is Robin Williams, Dead Poet Society, and he's talking to the kids. And and now that they've done their learning and they understand it, he says, now, what do you say? Right. And, and so what you were describing was a time in your life where you're like, you know, OK, I've checked all these boxes. You know, I've met all your requirements. 
Now I want to tell you what I say. And what you have to say, Gray, is so important. It needed to be shared with the world. And I'm just so grateful that you have stepped forward uh, for I don't know how many years now, over 20 years. How many years you've been doing this? <laughs> I graduated. <laughs> I became a strength coach and a physical therapist in 1990 in the same year. And so I said, you know, my dad's a Methodist minister. And he said, you know, I, I took a vow to disturb the comfortable and comfort that disturbed. Right. He sort of, you know, and, and I always admired that because he took a very philosophical approach to his role as a small town country pastor who uh, routinely was the first responder many times and would perform CPR on people. I, I mean, in, in the area I grew up in Virginia, my dad was the counselor, the sports psychologist, the uh, the social worker, the parole officer, uh, the uh, minister during the week and the preacher during Sunday. And he was a businessman before that. So he took a very pragmatic and practical approach to his ministry. He would tell stories, but he would never condemn anybody. He would inspire people. He would motivate people. And so I said, you know, when I'm coming at strength, conditioning, and physical therapy, these things are being done to the same human body. Why, whether somebody is seeking a fitness goal or seeking a life quality goal, do I treat the human learning movement system any different? And so silos help us get language we're comfortable with. And it's very easy to erode the definition of something like health or fitness into what you feel like dispensing, but not what they need. And I, I, I reached that physical crisis right about the time you said I was out of school five years, strength coach, physical therapist. I was looking at the neuro adaptability of humans and I was looking at the ortho and I'm like, everybody's missing something. The conditioning world values fitness measures too much. The medical world values medical management too much, but nobody's looking at the pattern of your physical self, the way you carry yourself. So back to the beginning of this conversation, 100 yards away, watching somebody move. You can tell if they're obese, you can tell if they struggle with balance, and you can tell if their posture is altered uh, and, and infringed with mobility and stability problems. But you can also see somebody who glides across the ground. They don't have a book on their head, but they easily could. My dad noticed that about Greg Norman as a golfer. He goes, you know, every other golfer just sort of just, you know, waddles down the course and hits the ball miraculously. Greg Norman glides. He's an athlete who also plays golf. And long before we had Tiger Woods, we had Greg Norman, the guy who took golf just like Gary Player did to the next level. I mean, Gary Player back in the 50s and 60s could do a bunch of pistols and a bunch of one-arm push-ups, push right, on right. the golf course. I got him in my presentation doing that. What did Pavel tell us? Before you ever pick up a kettlebell, you should be a naked warrior. If you can't do a one-arm push-up or a pistol, your body weight's enough to get you strong. The kettlebell will add to a strong body, right? But nobody read that book. They all just picked up a kettlebell and broke their back in half and then blamed the kettlebell. No. Pavel could do pistols and one-arm push-ups equally. He was saying athletic body and balance in the early 2000s, just like I was. We came at it from two different ways, but we're best of buddies now because his Russian military culture gave him this. My country boy dyslexic pattern recognition culture gave me that. The end result's the same. You're a naked warrior, you pass a movement screen. You do the crap I'm telling you to do, you're going to pass a movement screen. 
So you know, your, your dad sounds like an amazing person. I just want to bring it back to your dad. Would you say that you as a physical therapist and strength coach are doing what your dad did uh, as a Methodist minister, which is to disturb the comfortable and comfort the de- uh, comfort the disturbed? Is that how you say it? <laughs> yes, you, yes. Be- because, because a person with integrity, if you give them the truth and love, they will accept it. And if they're not ready for it, they just won't. And I spent a lot of my teaching career bringing people a message they weren't ready for, but also meeting people like yourself who were totally ready to raise the bar because you knew you were willing to deliver more than most. But as long as my physical therapy clinic and another physical therapy clinic are in town, insurance sees us the same way, right? But if if I look at how many visits I can max out on you and it's 22, there's a lot of PT clinics that look at that number first. I look at, man, you seem to be a self-motivated person who doesn't mind getting the truth handed to him. Can I see you once a week for four weeks? That's only going to be four visits. And I know you got a high deductible. I'm going to need some communication and accountability on your part. If you know you're not motivated, get your butt in here, more visits. But if you are motivated, this is your problem anyway. I'm here to assist with it. So I think you on the right track and give you enough challenges in the next week, like I did with your mobility, because I know healthcare is only going to pay less for less quality. So it's a it's a race to zero. So I would rather take this opportunity that slowed you down. I wound up being a very well-known strength coach in the NFL, but not one strength coach ever came to me and said, help us reprogram the team. I came in as a physical therapist explaining why you had a rash of hamstring injuries, sports hernias, or high ankle sprains. I left saying, and this is what I'd fix in the weight room so this doesn't happen at the rate it happened again. So nobody listens to me as a strength coach. Everybody listens to me once four physical therapists said, I don't know what's wrong with you. And then I get to come in and sort of unpack it. But if I unpack it, I know if I don't change your behaviors, you're headed right back to the same problem. And that doesn't make me, that doesn't make me feel good. Uh, it does, it doesn't make me feel like I did as much as I could with your vulnerable opportunity. And let's be honest, we all have teaching moments right in front of us. I'm not going to force a teaching moment, but if you tell me you can balance on your right leg and I point you to the balance beam and you fall off six times, I'm going to look at you and say, really? What's bad balance look like? Right? <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of, little bit of tough love for about five minutes, but as long as you know I love you, we won't get through this. But you got to own your shit. And, and that's something that, that you know, my, I watched my dad be a track and field coach. I watched my dad be a minister. I watched my dad be a businessman. Own your shit was never off the table, right? It was, it was Nick Saban. It was Bill Belichick. It's like at this level. Now, as a preacher, I will tell you it in a different way than I will a discus coach. <laughs> right, right. Own, your, own your shit. And, and, let me, and if you don't know how to do that, let me love you into it. But if you keep asking, I know you don't want to own it yet. So <laughs> really good. Great. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, what's the best site for we've given a lot of resources today. There's probably the best site for people to go to to either get more of you or get more of, or just find those resources in one place. Where would that be? Everything I do is in the name of functional movement systems. I, uh, you know, you can you can find me independently on the Internet, but everything I've done currently and everything I've done in full detail is on functional movement systems. You can find us. We got a channel on YouTube. Uh, Lee and I got a podcast and we've had some unbelievable 
people on, on that podcast, just coming at movement a lot of different ways and, and trying to learn as we go. Um, and we got courses coming up. As a matter of fact, we're going to do a bunch of YouTube live stuff coming into the fall where we're going to record it for people who can't make it, but we're going to do real time because that's where Lee and I, you know, that's, that's where you deal with movement on Monday morning. That's where we want to, you know, show you some tools that, that make that day easier. So. So good. Well, thank you for sharing so much with our audience today. I, I can't recommend this enough, Overcomer Nation. If you want to learn more about your body, the way it moves, if you want to solve the mysteries of your body, then start with the functional movement screen. Start with one of the courses that was mentioned here today. Start with one of the books. Uh, thank you so much, Gray. Thanks for your time. You are welcome, man. This was fun. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com. Yeah!